Hi there, my name is Scott Barber and welcome to the Landscape Ontario podcast. This is a new series from Landscape Ontario Horticultural Trades Association and it's going to feature interesting interviews and stories that matter to landscaping and horticultural professionals. Today we're joined by Carly Teeter. She's an assistant professor in the biology department at Concordia University in Montreal. We reached out to Carly to join us for an interview because she's done some really interesting research on the environmental and ecological benefits that green spaces provide to cities. We think you're really going to enjoy this conversation and it's coming up right now. The Landscape Ontario podcast is sponsored by Dynascape Software. LO members save 15% on Dynascape products, software upgrades and online training. Visit dynascape.com for details. Hi Carly, thanks so much for joining us today over the phone to talk about some of the research that you do and the work that you do that uh, I really think will be of value to our audience at Landscape Ontario. So I'd like to start first uh, just by uh, you telling us a little bit about your background and, and what drew you to landscape ecology. Okay, thanks Scott and thanks for having me on the show today. So as a landscape ecologist, I'm really broadly interested in how we can manage our landscapes in ways that both conserve biodiversity, but also provide what we call ecosystem services or benefits that people get from the nature surrounding them. But as an urban ecologist, I'm interested in these questions in the city specifically. So rather than you know an agricultural landscape or a whole watershed, I think about how all the little bits and pieces of green spaces throughout our cities can scale up to benefit the people who live there, and how we can maybe manage them a little bit better. I'm also a field ecologist by training, which means that my students, and sometimes me too, get to spend a lot of time outside taking measurements of the natural world to try and find, find good indicators or ways to actually put numbers on some of the ways nature benefits us. And so in terms of what drew me to this field, uh, I think like many ecologists, I've always really been fascinated by the outdoors. I like to be outside, climbing trees, playing in the mud. Uh, but also growing up when I did, I heard a lot about all of these environmental problems that we have. Uh, and the line that you always hear is, you know, it's up to your generation to fix it or the kids are going to fix it. And so I think ecology in general was, was a pretty natural fit for me. I, I internalized that message that if it's up to us to fix it, then I want to be a part of that. And ultimately, I stayed in the field because I really love problem solving, writing, communicating. And those are skills I get to use in my job every day as a professor. Fantastic. I can definitely relate to that love of being outside um, and and definitely uh, really have enjoyed looking into your research and, and some of the work that you do. Um, on your website, it, it, you say that um, your research tries to think beyond the park. And I'm wondering if you could explain what, what exactly you mean by that. Sure. So, so think beyond the park is, is kind of my version of thinking outside the box. And so I think for many people, when you talk about urban green space or urban ecology, our first tendency is often to think about parks or these kind of large set aside formal green spaces. And parks are great. I love a good park. But there are also so many other green spaces within our cities that are working really hard to provide us with these natural benefits. We have street trees and residential yards, you know, your backyard. 
We have vacant land and churches and school grounds. You know, I could go on. And something that we've really learned from our research in my lab is that we don't necessarily get the same results if we measure something across these very different types of green spaces. So you can imagine that you know, one part of our urban landscape might be giving us good flood protection, while another is better for carbon storage, and a third is providing great pollinator habitats for our native bees. And so we really need not just parks, but a whole mosaic of these green spaces if we want multiple benefits. So you can think of a landscape kind of like a, a patchwork quilt. And parks would be one type of patch, but I'm interested in the whole quilt and how that comes together. Fantastic. Um, and actually, you, you, you touched on, on a few major ones, but I'd like to maybe just step back and, and ask you a bit about the term ecosystem services and what that means and, and if you could outline why it's important. Sure, absolutely. Uh, so I do have a tendency to, to throw this term around as if everybody knows it, but ecosystem services, um, it's a, a pretty jargony term that we like to use in, in science and in policy. But what it basically means is just the benefits that people receive from nature. So this can be you know, materials that we harvest or extract from ecosystems. So things like you know, firewood or building materials or even food. It can also refer to the way that our ecosystems, our natural systems, regulate different processes. So ecosystems, imagine a wetland filtering and cleaning our water or reducing flooding. And it can even refer to these much less concrete or less tangible benefits, like places to, to recreate or the positive effects that nature has and green space has on our mental health or our spiritual values. And so you can think about this as another way to describe nature's benefits. Sometimes we use the term nature-based solutions. So for example, a technological solution to an issue like climate change in our cities might be to increase our capacity for air conditioning. Our nature-based solution might be planting more trees. And so whether people realize it or not, every single one of us relies on, in part at least, on nature for our health and well-being. And it's really critical that we find ways to sustain these ecosystem services if we want to kind of maintain and enhance our quality of life. For sure. And can you outline a, a little bit, and I think it's related, of course, um, you know, the term green infrastructure and, and what kind of spaces and landscapes you refer to when you use that term? Right. So I use the term green infrastructure pretty broadly, which is not necessarily how everyone refers to it. So to me, green infrastructure refers to all of those you know, bits and pieces of green space throughout the city that, that we're managing. So it, it could be something that maybe we more typically think of as green infrastructure, like a rain garden. That's kind of a classic example of green infrastructure. But I would also consider something like street trees or a backyard to be an important part of that green or that natural infrastructure in our cities. Um, I also really like the term ecological infrastructure. The term green uh, is often used to refer to, to non-living things. So we might say, you know, green technology or a green building, but we're not necessarily referring to the actual kind of living components. And so ecological or natural infrastructure is, is another word I often use. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and I'd like to ask you a little bit about why, why cities and urban centers are so important and so central to the research that you've done. 
Absolutely. So I, I would happily talk about cities all day. Uh, urban areas, which is not something you hear most ecologists say. You know, I think a lot of ecologists are people who want to get out of the city and go off and study, you know, wilderness or more wild nature. Uh, but urban areas are where most of us live. So here in Canada, 83% of Canadians live in an urban area, which means that for most of us, the places we most often encounter and benefit from nature is actually in the city. And so if we can't get people to care about nature, you know, where they are, where they live, I think that's, that's really worrying for broader conservation. And so working in the city, in part, is really about meeting people where they are. Unfortunately, I think our perceptions of cities are really starting to change, and we're realizing that we can do real kind of conservation work and ask really interesting scientific questions right here at home, you know, in our own yards, in our own gardens. And so when we talk about big issues like climate change or biodiversity loss, cities aren't going to solve everything. We still need our, our wild landscapes, and I'm glad that my colleagues go and study those. But cities are a necessary part of the solution. Uh, and that's the piece that I'm just personally really interested in. Yeah, no question. So what are some of the roles that uh, ecological infrastructure can play in, in mitigating some of the impacts of climate change? So ecological infrastructure can provide these important ecosystem services or nature-based solutions uh, in the fight against climate change. So as just one example I, I touched on briefly, we know that extreme heat events, heat waves, are becoming more common as the climate continues to warm. And this is particularly problematic in cities, which are hotter than the surrounding areas. And our research shows that trees can be a very effective at reducing those high summer temperatures, but only if our canopy cover, the amount of tree cover, is, is high enough. Um, so we need to pass a certain threshold. So green infrastructure or ecological infrastructure can also be important for reducing climate-related flooding, for example. Um, but just introducing more ecological infrastructure alone isn't necessarily enough to combat climate change. I think we often see these campaigns to, you know, if we just plant a million trees or if we just make every roof a green roof, that will solve our problem. But what we're really interested in our research group is not just do we need more of this natural infrastructure? But what kinds of plants are we using? How much do we need? How is it arranged throughout our city? Um, which is why this is such an important area of research, We're kind of digging into some of these ways that we know that green space can be important for the cities, but trying to figure out how to manage it a little bit better. Mm -hmm. So some of your research has looked at uh, the impact of green space on private lands. Uh, you know, backyards, people's front yards, uh, people's property. And um, I'm wondering, you know, why, why you felt this was important to look at and, and what exactly the research has shown on that front. Yeah, so this is something that we're continuing to look into and have recently looked into is this, this role of private land and residential areas or yards in particular in providing these ecosystem services in the city. Uh, and the reason that this, I think, is so important is because in many of our cities, private land actually makes up the majority of our green space. It goes back to that idea of thinking outside of just parks. And to give a, an Ontario example, so somewhere your listeners might be familiar with, if you think about the city of Toronto, about 60% of the trees in the city of Toronto are on private land. And so if we want to really conserve 
our green space in cities and manage it better, we need to be thinking about these places that people own individually. Um, our work has also found in the lab that private yards can make an important contribution to carbon storage in the city, particular in their soils. Um, many cities are implementing kind of goals or targets for some of these indicators, so for urban canopy or for heat or flooding reduction. And it's really unlikely, I think, that we can meet these goals without participation from private landowners. But private lands are often kind of left out of these studies, and that's partly because of just logistical difficulties. And so to study private land, you might have to talk to you know, 20, 30, 50, 100 individual landowners in order to conduct that study to access all of these spaces. And so it really requires strong science communication skills and a strong desire to be working with people in the community. Uh, and I'm really excited now to be in a position where I can mentor young scientists in my own lab who, who want to do this kind of work and work with their communities. That's fantastic. And it, and it really gives, you know, everybody, uh, hopefully it'll give, you know, more people an idea of what, uh, what they can do in their own backyards um, to make a positive impact on their cities and their communities. And that's, uh, that's pretty exciting. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for sure, I, for sure. Well, Carly, um, I think that about covers all the things I was hoping to cover today. I so appreciate you taking the time to chat with us over the phone. Um, I think it's really interesting, these topics, and I hope this is just going to uh, sort of pique the interest of our, of, our, uh, re of our listeners, I should say, to, to maybe go and learn more, and, and I think we've done that. So I appreciate so much you taking the time to uh, chat with us today. Absolutely. Thank you very much for having me. And I'm excited to keep thinking and researching more about how our people in our cities can contribute to their urban environment.